Once Upon a Time is right now, here on Fable City Radio with your host, Martha Whitehouse. Tonight on Fable City Radio, we will be exploring the story of Faithful John, also known as Faithful Johannes. This tale, popularized by the Brothers Grimm, tells the story of a loyal servant trying to protect and serve two kings, the youngest of whom needs to learn a lesson in loyalty and trust to save his family. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy Faithful John. Once upon a time, there lived a kindly and much-beloved king who was dying. As he felt the end of his life drawing near, he called his loyal servant John to his bedside and whispered to him in a shaky voice, John, my faithful servant, you have served me long and well, but before I die, I must beg you to take care of my son. The prince is a good man, and he will make a good king, but he is naive and young, and he needs your guidance. I want you to act as his godfather, give him wise counsel, and help him to grow fully into his manhood. I promise that I will help him as long as I live, your highness, and I will protect him for you, said faithful John, even if it means forfeiting my own life. The king had one last request. After I am gone, he said, I want you to take my son on a tour of the castle, show him all of his wealth, and unlock every door. All that is, save the one at the end of the long north hall. That is the one room he must never enter, for inside the room is a painting of the princess of the golden dwelling. She is more beautiful than any woman who ever lived, and if the young king sees her, he will fall instantly in love with her. He will faint, and then he will put himself in grave danger to pursue her hand in marriage. John promised to do all that the king had asked of him, And with his worries put aside, the poor king went peacefully to sleep and never woke again. Faithful John broke the news to his new master, the young king, and the entire kingdom mourned the passing of the kindly old king. After the young king received the crown of his father, John pulled him aside and told him that it was time to receive his full inheritance. Faithful John guided the boy around the castle, unlocking and opening every door and showing him all of the gold, silver, and jewels that were now his. But he carefully avoided the door to the room with the princess's painting in it. The painting was placed in the room in such a way that as soon as the door was opened, anyone standing in the doorway would see it. After the tour was complete, the young king said, What about that room that we didn't go into? The one at the end of the long north hallway? Faithful John was torn. He had promised the old king not to endanger his son, so he tried to forestall the young man from seeing the room. He said, Your father ordered me to never let you into that room. There is great danger there for you, and he wanted to keep you safe. Just ignore the room and enjoy what you have, dear king. But swearing that his curiosity would never be satisfied and that he would go out of his mind if he didn't see everything in his home, the young king insisted on entering the room. Faithful John reluctantly led the young man to the room, but he made sure that he went in first after he unlocked the door. 
The poor servant tried to block his young master's view of the painting, but it was hopeless. The young king pushed past John. He saw the portrait of the princess of the golden dwelling, and his heart swelled with love for the lovely young woman in the painting. It had been expertly crafted by a fine artist's loving hand, and it was imbued with so much life that the king felt like the princess might step out of the painting and into his waiting arms. He reached out to touch the painting and fell down in a dead faint at his servant's feet. John summoned several servants to carry the young king gently back to his bed. Then he sat by the young man's side, chafing his wrists until he woke up. The first words the young king said were, The princess! I must find the princess! I must make her my bride! John shook his head and said, It will be very difficult, your highness. That princess is the princess of the golden dwelling. She loves only the finest gold wares and lives in a golden palace, giving her heart to no one. You cannot simply send her a proposal of marriage. You must win her over by bringing her what she loves the most. Then please, please, you must help me win her heart, said the king. John obediently agreed, and he made a plan to win the princess's heart for the king. He ordered the king's finest craftsmen and goldsmiths to take a large part of the royal supply of gold to create bowls, plates, statues, utensils, and all manner of household goods, all fashioned from solid gold. The artisans labored day and night until they completed their task. Next, John instructed the captain of the king's fleet to ready his swiftest ship to travel to the princess's golden palace. He instructed the king that he must dress as a wealthy merchant, and he made himself similarly attired. Then he had all of the golden wares loaded onto the ship, and he and the king set sail for the kingdom of the golden dwelling. When the long journey was over and the ship had moored near the princess's home, faithful John instructed the king to stay on the ship and to array some of the golden wares in a display for the princess. I will bring the princess back with me, said John. Have everything in readiness for our return. John packed several of the finest golden objects created by the king's craftsmen and set off for the golden dwelling of the princess. He showed his goods to the princess's guards, and they quickly ushered the prosperous new merchant into the princess's private chambers. John was shocked by the dizzying beauty of the princess. Her portrait could not begin to compare with the radiant appearance of the flesh-and-blood woman. A soft flush suffused her lovely face as she became more and more excited while she marveled over the golden wonders produced by John. "'More, more!' she cried, clapping her hands in delight. "'I must see more!' My master and I have an entire shipload of beautiful golden things, said John, things that are even more wondrous than these. Bring them to me at once, ordered the princess. Oh, alas, my lady, they are too numerous and much too heavy to transport here on short notice, but I will happily escort you to our ship where you can pick out exactly what you would like, said John, and he bowed low. The princess was beside herself with excitement. She quickly followed faithful John, and as she stepped onto the young king's ship, she found most of the king's treasures were arranged to shine in the afternoon sun. Here is my master, said faithful John, gesturing to the young king. He will take you below decks to see the finest things we have stored there. The young king escorted the wide-eyed princess below decks, and John immediately ordered the ship's crew to set sail at full speed. By the time the princess returned to the deck with the young king, the ship was far out to sea. 
The princess ran to the railing, crying, What is this? Where are we? I have been kidnapped? The young king rushed to her side to beg her favor. It is not kidnapping, your highness, because I am not a kidnapper. I am a king who saw your portrait and fell in love. Seeing you in person, I know that I was right to love you, but I could see no other way to get an audience with you than to convert my fortune into the fine goods you have seen. And if you will only consider my honest proposal of marriage, all I have will be yours forever, including my heart. But if you wish to go home, I will order my ship to return you to your own shores. I will bother you no further and I will live out my life in loneliness, knowing that I will never see my true love again. The princess looked at the bowed head of the young king, and her heart melted. She agreed to stay on the ship, and she accepted the king's proposal. Everyone on the ship celebrated, and that evening, a happy John walked the deck alone, unable to sleep after the exciting events of the day. Suddenly, three ravens flew close above him and landed on the boom above his head and started talking. John was amazed when he realized that he could understand their conversation. Rack, cried one. The young king is victorious. He has the princess, and she is falling in love with him. That's true, said another. But when the ship lands, a magical and cursed horse will run up to the ship, and the king will jump on its back. Then the horse will leap into the air, and fly away with the king, and no one will ever see him again. Is there nothing that can be done? asked the third raven. Only this, said the first bird. If someone jumps onto the horse's back before the prince, grabs the gun out of the horse's saddlebag, and shoots the horse dead, then the prince will escape this fate. But that's not the only problem. The king will find a wedding shirt in his castle, but it is a cursed shirt, and when the king puts it on, it will burn him to ashes. Worst of all, even if he survives on the accursed day, the beautiful princess will be dancing after the wedding, and she will turn pale and fall down dead. Is there nothing that can be done? asked the second raven. Only this, said the first bird. If a brave man wearing gloves will snatch the shirt from the king and throw it in the fire, and if he will also pick up the princess after she falls and draw three drops of blood from her chest and spit them out, then both bride and groom will be saved and live happily ever after. But if such a man were ever to tell the true reason for his actions, he will surely turn to stone from head to foot and fall down dead himself. The three birds flew off, and faithful John knew what he must do to protect the king, even if it meant his own death. He prepared himself for what was to come, but his heart was heavy with dread. By the time the king's ship landed on its own shore, the king and the princess were deeply in love and eager to marry. The king, the princess, and faithful John had scarce stepped onto firm land when a magnificent chestnut horse galloped up to them. The young king exclaimed, What a fine animal! I shall ride him to the castle! He started to mount the horse, but John rushed forward, pushing the king out of the way, and mounting the horse himself, he removed a gun from the animal's saddlebag and shot him dead. The king's servants, who had come to meet the ship, shouted at John, berating him for destroying such a fine animal. But the king bade them to stop, saying, If John thought it was a good idea to kill the horse, then it was the right thing to do. He is my most faithful and wise servant." The party entered the castle, and lying on a sideboard in the hallway was a richly embroidered wedding shirt. Seeing this, the king exclaimed, What fine needlework! I will wear this shirt to my wedding. 
but before he could stretch out a hand to take the garment, Faithful John slipped on his gloves, grabbed the shirt, and threw it into the fireplace where it was consumed by the flames. Once again, the king's other servants berated John for destroying the shirt. But the king shushed them, saying, John is my most wise servant, and he has served me well. Whatever he does is well done. I will wear another shirt. The king and the princess's wedding was celebrated with great joy by everyone in the kingdom, and the party soon moved to a ballroom for dancing. No sooner had the young king led his new bride onto the dance floor when she fell down in a dead swoon. John rushed to her side, lifted up her lifeless body, and plunged a large needle into her chest. Three large drops of blood welled up, and John bent his head to her wound, sucked up the blood, and spat it out. The princess startled back to life, saw the large needle in John's hand, and screamed in terror. The king watched the entire scene in horror, and at the scream of his new bride, he snapped. He ordered John arrested and sentenced him to die on the gallows the very next morning. When the sun arose, John was led to the steps of the gallows. After bravely mounting to the top of the platform, faithful John turned to his master and said, Condemned men get to make a last statement. May I make mine? The king nodded sternly and said, You may speak. John said, Your Highness, I promise you, I have remained faithful and always done my best to protect and serve you. Then he told the king about the bird's conversation and why he had taken the actions that led to his condemnation. Oh, John, cried the king, I have wronged you. I reverse your conviction and I order you freed immediately. But it was too late. As John smiled at his king one last time, he turned to stone from his head to his toes and fell down dead. The king rushed to his faithful servant, crying. He ordered his men to place the stone John in his chambers, and he cried and apologized to the remains of his servant every day thereafter. In the course of time, the queen gave birth to twin boys who were greatly loved by their parents. The boys grew quickly. One day when the queen had gone to church and the children were playing in their father's chamber, the king looked mournfully at the stone John and whispered, If only I could bring you back, dear friend, so you could join me in this happy life you gave to me. You can restore me, whispered the statue. I would do anything to restore you, said the king. To do that, you would have to sacrifice your children. You must cut off their heads and smear their blood on me, and I will be brought back to life. The king was horrified when he heard what he must do, but he had burned with guilt for years over the death of faithful John and how he had wronged the most faithful person he had ever met. So he decided to trust John one last time. He raised his sword, and with one blow, he killed his children and smeared their blood on the stone statue. The stone glowed, and then John was alive, and he stood smiling in front of his old friend. He embraced the king and said, Now your loyalty and faith will be rewarded. John gently held each of the princes and replaced their heads upon their bodies. The boys jumped up and began to play as if nothing had happened to them. The king joyfully embraced them, and then he heard the announcement that the queen was returning to the castle. He hid John and the little princes in the closet, and when the queen appeared and asked for her children, the king said, There is a way to restore our dear John to us, my love, but it will require the most brave sacrifice. We will have to sacrifice our children to bring him back. The queen paled at the thought of losing her children, but she drew close to her husband and said in a trembling voice, 
If that is the only way, then we must trust and make the sacrifice. John has already done as much for our own happiness. It is already done, said the king, and he embraced his fair queen, flung open the door to the closet, and John and the princes emerged and embraced the queen. It was done by my own hand, said the king, and John has restored our children and our honor. Everyone wept with joy, and they all lived long and happily ever after. The End I hope you enjoyed my version of Faithful John. I read a version of this story when I was a child, but aside from the striking imagery of the young king knocking off his own children's heads, there was a lot about this story that I was happy to rediscover it on an adult rereading. Faithful John is a Grimm Brothers tale that is less known to contemporary audiences, but its themes were wildly popular in their time and more than 500 stories based on the same theme exist in the canon of folklore. The Dragon and the Snake, a South Indian story, Father Roquelaure from France, John the True, an English fairy tale recounted by Joseph Jacobs, The Moorish Prince and the Christian Prince, a fairy tale from Chile, The Raven, an Italian fairy tale by Jean-Baptiste Basile, and Koshi and the Deathless, a Russian fairy tale, are just a few of the versions of this story. Published in 1819 by the Brothers Grimm in the second edition of their book Kinder und Hausmarschen, or Child and Household Tales, this story is one of many the brothers adapted from a story told to them by Dorothea Wiemann. More about her in a moment. But first, it is important to note that the true origins of the story, according to several prominent folklorists, is likely somewhere in India. Dorothea Wiemann is herself a sort of folk hero. A peasant woman who had seven children was the source of many of the Grimm's best stories. She was the daughter of an innkeeper, and she overheard many stories from the patrons of her father's pub. The Grimm's commented on Dorothea's uncanny ability to repeat stories word for word with very little variations in the retellings. There is a famous painting, The Brothers Grimm at the Fairy Tale Ladies, by Louis Kazenstein, Kazenstein that depicts the Grimm's sitting in Dorothea Veman's small peasant cottage, surrounded by children, cats, and chickens, and listening intently to some story being told by her. The scene probably never really happened in the peasant storyteller's own home because it is well documented that it was she who visited the brothers periodically. But I love the painting because it encapsulates the essence of the German fairy tale tradition. Educated people, the Grimm's, gathering the wisdom of a common folk and sharing it with a larger audience. The Grimm's also got a lot of their tales from other educated people, but that folk basis for the stories just feels right when you look at the picture. It feels like an homage to the peasant roots of the stories. Did the Grimm brothers compensate Miss Veeman for her prodigious talents? I don't know, but I sure hope so. She had a lot of mouths to feed and worked tirelessly to take care of her children. She died in 1815, but the stories she passed on to the Grimm's live on in their collection of folklore. Now to the story. I did a lot of research on this story, and one of the sources I explored was a book titled The Fairy Tale, The Magic Mirror of Imagination by Stephen Swan Jones. I love that title. The book was published in 1995. I had to buy a used copy through a Libris online. I don't think the book was very popular. The copy I got was an ex-library edition that had never been checked out from the Marion Public Library in Marion, Indiana, so I doubt they'll miss the copy I have. The book is interesting, 
even if I don't agree with all of the author's conclusions. Jones posits that the thematic core of Faithful John is maturation, namely the maturation of the young king, as exemplified by him taking a wife and having to address adult themes. But in my opinion, the thematic core of Faithful John is loyalty. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say that loyalty is the leitmotif or unifying theme of Faithful John. After all, it's right there in the title, Faithful John. The word faithful is in this case not really a word applied to spiritual faith, but rather to steadfast loyalty. John is a faithful servant and trusted retainer to the old king. This is well established in the beginning of the story, as the dying king calls to John to continue his loyal service and guidance to his son, the prince. John promises the king that he will take care of his son and guide him on the right path, and the old king dies peacefully because he trusts the loyalty of John. But what about the young king? Throughout the story, John shows his loyalty by taking care of the young king and helping him to get his heart's desire, the princess of the golden dwelling, as his bride. But when the crucial time comes that the young king must trust faithful John, he only trusts part of the way. When it comes to a perceived insult to his new queen, he shows John no loyalty and sentences him to death by hanging with no trial. It's true that a more mature king might have looked at the situation and tried to find an explanation for John's strange behavior. A brain fever or simply insanity would have been better conclusions to jump to rather than believing that his father's most trusted servant who had just helped him secure the love of his life would attack the princess with no provocation. But maturity isn't the theme here. Even an immature child can possess the quality of loyalty. It doesn't necessarily require maturity. In the end of the story, before the king can carry out John's death sentence, John decides to explain everything to the young king, even though he will turn to stone with the telling. Once again, John shows his loyalty here. He doesn't want the king to feel that he has been betrayed. John keeps his promises to the end and dies for his honesty. Now from this point on is where the story gets really weird. The stone statue that John has become is placed in the king's private room, where he laments to it every day, wishing that John could come back from the dead. The statue says nothing as the king's family grows with the birth of two children. Then one day after another one-sided discussion with the stone John, it speaks back and tells the king how to bring John back to life. But the horrifying remedy is to murder the young princes. This time the king doesn't hesitate to show his loyalty to his old servant, and he kills his own children, gruesomely rubbing their blood on the stone statue. John is restored, and as he restores the princes to life as a reward to the king for his loyalty. For me, the extreme and extremely violent end of the story is just another emphasis on the theme of loyalty. The king must prove that he has learned his lesson in faith and loyalty by making the ultimate sacrifice. His wife also goes along with this decision. In the beheading of the children, I can certainly feel the Indian origins of the story, and it reminds me a lot of the story of Ganesha, the elephant-headed god of the Hindu religion, whose origin story is that as a young boy, his head was cut off by his mother Parvati's angry lover Shiva, who replaced the child's head with an elephant head, enabling the boy to leap happily back to life, just like the princes, delighted with his new head. The last scene also reminds me of Shakespeare's Hamlet, the ghost of Hamlet's murdered father ordering him to commit murder as revenge. Mark me, intones old Hamlet, bidding his son to prove his loyalty to his father by committing murder. It's very similar to what is basically the ghost of faithful John asking for a gruesome bloody sacrifice. Well, that's all I have for now. 
Take care of the people who are loyal to you. We don't want any beheadings. And join me again soon in Fable City Radio.